Ron, can I get some lights up here? Uh, there we go. And these two, yeah. There we go. Actually, it's not for me. It's for the front row, right? <clears throat> All right. As you can tell from our song selection, um, there's a reason behind our our time with uh, singing is to point us to point us to the name above all names, the Holy One, the Most High One. Identity. Have you ever tried to uh, tell someone who you are? Not what you do. That's what we do, right? We, we say, here's, what I, here's who I am by saying, here's what I do. I'm a carpenter. I'm a teacher. I'm this. I'm that. It's how we define ourselves. And so um, we've, we've got a, an amazing truth here before us in Exodus chapter 3. And so we want to consider here this great declaration of who God is by giving us his name. So we are uh, in Exodus chapter 3. Again, uh, we've said it before, we'll say it again here. If you don't have a Bible, take the Bible in front of you in the, in the pew shelf right there. And it's page 46 if you need that. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take the Bible that's there in front of you. <clears throat> um, please excuse, I don't know what the noise is. I, I, I was told I, I better keep my mic pack on my belt because I put it in my back pocket. This part right here messes it up, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm trying different things. And so if there's noises, we're sorry. We're trying to figure that out. So, okay. All right. Good deal. Exodus chapter 3. We're continuing on in um, God revealing himself to Moses. Remember the stories about who? It's about God. God's sovereign work. Not about Moses. Moses is the instrument there. And so God is the, the center of attention in this. And so we're at uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And so here's um, this Here's the, uh, the, our first point, if you want to follow along in your outline, I encourage you to do so. Uh, letter A under number one, God, uh, the request from Moses. The request from Moses is a legitimate one. He's not trying to dodge again with another excuse. I believe he's, this is a legitimate request and legitimate concern. There seems to be, you know, the, it's a good reason for asking as, as his appearance before the Israelites yet to come could easily come across as like a, here's Moses in the spotlight again. Is he grabbing the, uh, the attention of the Israelites? Is he trying to take charge in this way of, hey, I am the leader. I'm the chosen one to lead and here I come. So here's a request for, if you will, divine authentication. 
of his calling, of verifying that, you know, this is God's doing. And we see a number of examples of that as we read in the book of Genesis. Uh, The names of God are attached to messengers or messages from God to, to authenticate. This is from God. Here's my name behind this uh, message or this messenger. And so Moses um, requests, what do I say? Who sent me? And then letter B, we have the definition from God. The definition from God. And this is really important. Let's not overlook this, this, even that phrase. God's defining his own name. God's declaring himself. Okay? So, look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God has revealed his name. It's not Moses coming up with it. It's not somebody else. It's God himself proclaiming, I am. Saying, I am who I am. And what we've come upon here, without doing a whole lot of digging, we've come upon a whole geyser of truth. Okay? This is an incredible two words. I am. (laughs) It's the simple uh, verb form, to be. To be. He is. He is the I am. Clearly saying of his perfect existence his pure being i am seems as we understand uh, mrs travis uh an english teacher would say you've got to complete your statement and yet god doesn't complete his statement because he's saying something that is beyond us (laughs) i am Okay. We want him to finish the statement. After all, we say, well, she's pretty. I'm pointing at my wife. She is pretty. Or he is handsome. Or, or whatever, right? We always want to fill in the blank. You know, we, uh, we were born on this date. Uh, born, you, you know, your birthday, uh, Brianna. She's gone now, but anyway, you know, you're born on this day, and then eventually you die on this day, and that's it, right? Well, it's, no, it's not it for any one of us, because after dying, or once you die, you still go on, whether it's with God in heaven, with Him. Or separated from God in hell. But it's not like you and I were 
floating around before my birth date or your birth date and looking for a body to exist in. That's not true. Okay? And here, why I say this is it's because it's so helpful to always, you know, when we say, look at this statement, God says, I am. And we kind of scratch our heads and go, whoa. Well, it sure helps to contrast it with looking at ourselves. Okay? (laughs) I was born on this date. You were born on this date. Here's where we started. God is self-existent. That means he is uncreated. No one created God. Now, most of us understand that. But it's really important to let that sink in. And some of you might not have ever heard that. (laughs) And so we want to preach that. God is uncreated. He is the uncreated one. Another way to say it is he's underived. Okay? God has always been. He had no beginning. He's completely independent. God is, let's say it the other way, God is in no way dependent on anything or anyone. So next time you hear some statement saying God needs you, no, no, no. God does not need you. God does not need me. God, you know, when we get right down to who is God, God is self-existent. He is the I am So why did he create us if he doesn't need us? Because what does he want? He wants your life, your devotion, your love, your adoration, your praise, your magnifying him. He wants that. Why? God's on an ego trip, right? Well, see, God's the best thing or person for you, far beyond anything else. And what's my problem and what's your problem? We always chase after other things for satisfaction. I want this, I want that. And yes, we have things that we live with and exist with, but the one that we need is God. That's why he wants our worship. So if you do not know him, I beg you, join in by admitting your sin and admitting your need for him and start living for him and glorifying him. That's what you're made for. That's what you're made to do. You're not the captain of your own ship or admiral, if you will, whatever rank, right? You're not. You might think that, but you need to bow the knee to the one true God, the one true God, the great I am. So he is the I am. He is self-existent. And then next on the little list there, which is limited, we could go on and on, but let's just try to understand what's being stated here with this great statement, I am. He's self-existent. Then next he's incomparable. He's incomparable. He's absolutely perfect in every way. 
because he was uncreated, he doesn't need to add something to him, right? He's perfect in every way, in everything of who he is. We just sang it in the song, in the hymn, holy, holy, holy. Perfect in power, in love, and purity. Okay? He's perfect. Let's look at a couple of verses. You can keep a marker there in Exodus chapter 3, but turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, and look at chapter 40. In chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. For those with the Pew Bible, it's page 600. Isaiah 40, verse 18. The simple question, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Turn over to chapter 46, chapter 46, look at verse 5, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Then verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Okay. Amazing truth here in the book of Isaiah. He's incomparable. There's no one like him. then he is immutable. It's another way to say he changes not. God has nothing to improve in. God has nothing to get better at. God has nothing to learn. God has nothing to acquire. Unlike you and I, he does not age. He never was immature. Okay, that was for the front row, right? Just kidding. Love you guys. Okay, no, for all of us. You know what? God never had to mature. And all of us, all of us are maturing, growing, changing. Not God. He does not change. He's immutable. Turn to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. We're looking at Psalm 102, starting at verse 24. Verse 24. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years... Endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Psalm 102. He is immutable. Along with that, 
obviously uh, Malachi verse 3, verse 6. Malachi 3, verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. He is immutable. And then the last on this list, which again is not an exhaustive one, but this one um, is He is everlasting. I, I want to add that one to your list. He is everlasting. Now, go back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and um, we read um, those first three verses, 13 through 15, okay? Now, we want to look at verse 15 here. God also said to Moses, now, also, he's carrying on with his description. God also said to Moses, say this to the people. Oh, by the way, say this to the people. The Lord... Now notice, what is, it, what is the print in your Bible? It's, it's all capitals. It's all capitals. It's not capital L-O-R-D. It's all capitals there referring to the name of I am. Yahweh. Or, as it's now understood, Jehovah. Okay? The great self-existent one. He said in verse 15, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay, that's that's a big statement there. Okay, and we covered it last week. He he said it earlier um, in, in the passage and it was last week we saw it there. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Okay? He says, regarding his everlasting ways, I will always be. I am, and I will always be. I am forever. I am from everlasting to everlasting. No beginning, no end. And here with this, we understand that you and I, um, most of us, you know, have these little devices on our wrists. We're bound by what? Bound by time. God is not. God is not bound by time. He exists outside of that realm of time. He doesn't go by time. He goes by his understanding of what's going to come. Because again, he's sovereign. He is in control. Even though we look at things and say, how in the world can God be in control when this happens or that Right? You've got those kind of situations in life that come up. But God is sovereign. I don't have to understand everything about it. But what does the Bible say? (laughs) Psalm 115 says, God does what he wants to. It's it's in his because he's God. So another reference to uh look at is Isaiah 43. Go back to Isaiah. I think this is another important one. Isaiah 43 to wrap up this part of the message. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Starting at verse 10. Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, 
nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. From henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Isaiah 43. Okay? So that's a, that's a bit of a, as we say, just a scratch on the surface of the, the study of God's name. All right? God's name. He defines himself. Then God's plan. Number two, God's plan. Verse 16. We pick it up in verse 16. Now, in verse, I'm sorry, in verse 15, he's already said, go and tell the people this of his name. Then verse 16, he says, go and gather the elders of Israel. So right there, it shows us that even in their slavery, in their burden, in their bondage, they still have somewhat of a, a leadership structure of some sort. Okay? Elders. Go tell the elders this. And say to them, same thing. Here it goes. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me. Saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hivites, uh, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, here it is again, the Lord. And now he says, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Why does he say that now? Because now he's wanting to convey the message. This is my people. The Hebrews that you have, Pharaoh, that you have in bondage, they're my people. Okay. So here's God's plan. It's a sovereign plan, remember? And it's reiterated here for Moses as he heads off soon to go do what he's called to do. So letter A under number two is the plan is count on God's covenant or God's promise. Count on that. God continues to describe himself and give forth um, of his name. And here's what Moses is to communicate to the people. Communicate God's message about the power of God's name. And it's a clear reminder of the covenant with his people. He's God who will keep his promise. He keeps his promise to Israel. And my friend, if you're a believer, he keeps his promise to you. The precious and magnificent promises that Peter talks about, hold them dear to your heart. Put them into action in your mind in facing life situations. Count on the promise of God. Okay? In stating that He is the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, you know what He's saying to the elders and the people? Is, you know what? There's security. There's security in knowing me, in knowing God. My friend, have you experienced that? The security in knowing that God knows you. And, like here, he's saying the God of 
Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And guess what? He knows your name. All right? And it's not because you're an Israelite. It's because you've been rescued from darkness, redeemed, and brought into God's family through adoption, which is by way of faith in Christ Jesus alone. Faith in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's how you become a child of God. And some of you might be sitting right here this morning and you're not a child of God because you've not put faith in Christ alone. And it might be that you're thinking, I've got to do works too. Well, no, faith alone in Christ alone. That's what makes a person a child of God. You're understanding that it's all because of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. His righteousness put to your account. He is the one who reigns from one generation to another. That's what he's saying here. Of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, same thing. He's the God from one generation to another. He's known as the everlasting God. The one who knows his people. So the plan is, Moses and the people, count on God's promise to be kept. Letter B, count on God's power. Look at verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 and 20. Look, I, I, God says, I, I know, I know that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go unless, what? Compelled by a mighty hand. You know what he's saying? He's saying, um, I'm king and I'm going to go against this earthly king. Guess what? I'm going to win. God's going to win. So unless compelled by a mighty hand. And that's king talk. Back in those days, the king had something in his hand, you know. And remember in the Colosseum, you know, you see it in movies or you read of it in history books. The, the emperor, the, Caesar, would do what? Just a hand signal. Okay? The mighty hand of a king. And that's the idea. God's power will be demonstrated with his mighty hand. He will stretch out his hand and strike Egypt. And he'll do so with his wonders and his signs. That's what he does. That's what he did. And that, that's what he's promising to do. And then he says, then Pharaoh will let you go. In which we know that's what happened. So count on God's power. He's, all, he's saying this to Moses so that he can pass it along. I don't know how this is going to happen. But we've got to go to Pharaoh and tell him. And God's already said he's going to strike him and we're going to walk out of Egypt. Now, you can just think some of those uh, bean counters and, the, you know, the, the people that, you know, are the, the accountant types are going to say, how in the world are we going to do this? How are we, how are we going to do this? So, letter C, count on God's provision. That's the part of the plan. Count on his covenant taking place. Count on his power and count on his provision. How's it going to happen? <laughs> Look at verse 21 and 22. And I will give this people favor. Stop right there. What's that? His grace. His grace. <laughs> In this case, look at it. How's it going to happen? 
Oh, give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, when you leave Egypt, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for what? Silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. Notice what he says here. Interesting. He says, God says then, put them on your sons and daughters. What's that dealing with? Here's, here's a bit of this um, legacy. Whose legacy? God's legacy. God's saying, put the gold and the jewelry and, you know, give it to them. Give it to your sons and daughters. Here's God's sovereign working to provide for his people. In a sense, it's like payback. And some people would, you know, that have a concern about humanity say, oh, that's not fair. That's not right. But you know what? The Egyptians aren't paying the Israelites. Right? Here's the payback from their slavery, from their uh, being in bondage. And then he finishes, the, ch- the chapter finishes up with that little line. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, if we're thinking with the perspective of this is Moses and this is the people, then we're going to think, oh, look at what the people get to do. They get to plunder the Egyptians. No, no, no. Who's plundering the Egyptians? A sovereign God. Now, we're, again, we're the instruments Moses was the leader, the elders, and the people. Okay? And this was to cause the Israelites to give God praise. This was caused to, for the Israelites to say, this is what God accomplished. And for the Egyptians, well, this is God's what? God's judgment. This is God's judgment. And we'll get into that in the weeks ahead in our study in Exodus. Okay, so here this morning, we're remembering the Lord's Supper. We're called to examine our own hearts before partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so in light of the things we've covered this morning on God's name, I am, let's do some self-evaluation. I want to use one commandment as a bit of a springboard for us to think deeply. What's the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now why do we bring that up? Well, it's obvious. God's just declared his name, not just to broadcast it, but so that there can be some sense of um, security and understanding of God. And that's behind a name. In our Western civilization, when we name babies, it's not because we're naming them because this is the core of their heart and what they're like. We just like the name. Sounds good. It's a popular name. But in, you know, the, the Eastern, you know, 
understanding, the mindset there is more about let's name our son or daughter about, you know, here's what they're about. Here's their nature, okay? Names, right? Do I need to... Cold one? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Okay? So the idea of um, a name change. Abram to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah. Okay? Certain names are, are changed, and yet here's what we do. <laughs> All people tend to you might disagree with this, but we can take God's name in vain without saying, God damn it. Without saying, oh God. Without saying, oh my God. You realize we can take God's name in vain without saying those things? And yet that's the, that's the main way you take God's name in vain is you say it in those ways that I just said. But all of us, we got to be on the alert to not belittle, as John Piper has uh, written about. Don't belittle God's name. We might never say, oh, you know, God, blank, blank, blank. We might never say that and we might think, oh, I, I, don't, I don't break that commandment. Do we belittle his name? Do we diminish his name? Do we redefine his name? And... I, that's one of the things, you know, we want to tell people about God. We want to share the good news. And, you know, I've said this before. We have a great tendency to say, oh, you know, you just need to know God. God is love. True. It's true. God is love. But when we share the gospel, we need to be really starting where? God is, what does your bulletin say? First thing, God is holy. And he will judge sinners. And that constrains me. That causes me to go, whoa. The I am, the great I am. He knows me. And he, you know, this thing of judgment of my own sin. When we come under that spotlight of God's word, that's a good thing. If we respond in repentance and faith. We need to respond that way and say, God, please help me. Um, Help me to understand more about your way, your will for my life. Um, I want to share this thought too. Just in the church, in kind of in a broad spectrum of the church, mainly in America, because that's what I pick up on and and read of, uh, you know, kind of a... Uh, the way things are in America, in our present day. And America, I I think we as Christians in America tend tend to have a problem with inadequate understanding of God. You know, we understand God. You know, we we say we love God. We we sing and all that. We want to honor God. But sometimes there can be a superficial nature to that understanding. A shallow, if you will, a shallow understanding. And so a lot of times even Christians can come out, you know, um, because our, 
our understanding is shallow. It might be that, you know, every so often, you know, we're just saying things like, like we take God's name in vain. And we're not even thinking of, not even batting an eye. Why? Because it's like, eh, what's the problem? Everyone says that, right? So we've got to stop being worldly in how we talk and how we think and be godly in it. And so I need to, I want to be an encouragement about this, about majoring on praise in your mind and in your heart during the week. And then when we come together here on Sunday morning, it's, it's even greater praise and worship because we've been aiming for this in our Monday through Saturday life of giving him praise. We need to major on the power of God to help you overcome, to help me overcome the temptations, the sin of the world, the, the, you know, the sin of my own heart, the flesh, and its desire to dominate. So stop. Stop the, uh, the violation of commandment number three. Stop it. By killing off those old habits. When I... I became a believer when I was about 19, and my life in high school had been filled with vulgarities. In coming to faith in Christ, there was a change. And that was one of the things, thank God, that was changed. I stopped saying those words. And yet, because of the, the nature of my heart and the nature of our hearts, we can still belittle God, devalue God, redefine God. Moses did not define God. God did. And let's go with God's plan of how he did that. Let's understand him more. Let's grow in that understanding. Let's, let's say, what is God's true identity? Yes, he loves, but he's holy. He's righteous. So I, in your, your outline, there's a couple more things to, to mention here. If we have little or no concern for his honor, one would cause to ask the question, is God maligned? Is God maligned in your life? Please beware of this. Or is God magnified? Is God magnified in my life during the week when no one's, quote, watching or when I'm at work or when I'm not at church? Is God being magnified in your life. And that sure helps me, and it will help you too when you're thinking of stray thoughts. Why does this thought come to mind? I didn't want to think this, and yet so I come back to saying I want to magnify God in my life. So I, I, I need to rely on what I know of the Word of God to help me to say no to that temptation. God's reputation is at stake, my friend. God's reputation is at stake through you and me, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's the idea. That's what, you know, one of the reasons why we're a church. Let's do it together. Let's magnify his name. Make much of his name. Make much of his reputation. Start at home. At home, start at home. Make much of his name and his glory and his honor at home. 
Now, there's two more things, and then we'll move on to communion. And it's this. We'll move through it quickly. God answered Moses' request, didn't he? What was Moses' request? What do I say? And God answered. So what that tells me is that God is knowable. God is knowable. Francis Schaeffer, who died a number of years ago, said, entitled one of his books this, God is there and he is not silent. And my friend, again, if you're here and you don't believe, well, what's your excuse? God is there and he is not silent. He is knowable. And like we said before, he, it's not that he needs us. He desires our fellowship. He desires our, our, our devotion, our worship, our, our time in communion. He desires that, that we call upon him, rely on him. I want to have you mark down these references. We're not going to look them up, but mark these references down. John 17, 26. John 17, 26. Jesus said, I made known to them your name. This is high priestly prayer. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you, God, the Father, have loved me may be in them and I in them. Then another one that I want you to write down is Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20. Very, very important. Please listen. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Sometimes we wonder, well, how could God send someone to hell? Well, there's one of the reasons right there. It's evident that God is there and that they keep reading and realize that Christ came as the one and only Savior of the world. And so we finish up with the last attribute is that he is knowable and he is Jesus. Amen. The I am is Jesus. He came perfectly realized and fulfilled this description. Here's here's God in the flesh. The infinite, absolute, self-existent God has drawn near to us. (laughs) And He's come in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, 56 through 58 says, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And so, it culminates with the person of Jesus Christ. And so, we need to um, rattle our own cages, if you will. We need to um, challenge our, the way we've been thinking and make sure that what we've been thinking is more in tune and in line with the Bible. 
with God's word. So that when we come to communion, we're not just doing kind of a traditional thing. Oh, you know, it's just what churches do. No, but we are coming back to the truth of who God is and what he did. He came down. He condescended upon humanity through the person of Jesus Christ so that Jesus would pay the penalty that you could not pay. So that Jesus Christ would be the perfect picture of righteousness that you have failed in. That I have failed in. All of us have failed in that way. But we don't um, major in that. What we want to major in is a perfect Savior. That's why we sing about His name. Oh, the beautiful name. The matchless name. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, right? It's the name of Jesus. And he did, that's what we're remembering here. But in taking, in taking the elements, we need to remember. Don't just take it and carry on with your old flesh in charge of your life. No. Submit to the Lordship of Christ as we carry on in life. Submit to Him. I, I, I might have mentioned this before. You know, back when I was first saved, I thought, well, I already repented. I don't need to repent anymore. No, we, all of us need to continue repenting. Why? Because I've got a sin problem that pops its head up in my life on a daily basis. Sorry to confess that. You know, your, your pastor is supposed to be what? Thank you. I'm not, and you aren't either. But let's move in the direction of godliness. And so when we partake, do it in a worthy manner. Don't just take it and say, hey, I'm going to go carry on with my, my own thing. That's not biblical. Because you are not your own if you're a believer. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body. Like the, the men who are serving to come at this time. And please, um, if you're planning to partake, uh, please do so with a heart that's ready and prepared. I, not perfect, but just prepare your own heart here. Okay? Appreciate these men that come and help serve communion. Uh, all right, let's, let's bow in prayer. Just quiet your hearts right now. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Lord, search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, the, ever, the everlasting way is the way of the righteous, the way of the, re, of the redeemed. And Lord, um, you know who your children are. Please help us in truly honoring you and honoring your name because it's who you are. The matchless name of Jesus. And so, Lord, here this, this morning we bow in, in humility and in reverence. And we lift you up and magnify your great and awesome name. Thank you for what you came to do, Lord Jesus, in paying a penalty that we could never pay. You took our punishment on the cross. And through it, we are pardoned. We are pardoned. Thank you, Lord. Help us to receive these elements with gratefulness in our hearts, remembering that you bore our sins in your body and you shed your precious blood on our behalf. And we praise you. Work in our hearts right now and bless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.